The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. Do you guys remember the sex talk? Was it more awkward for you or for your parents? Or for you or your kids? By the way, this is probably going to lean a little bit, like, I don't know, if, if that talk for you, like, fit into, like, the PG-13 category, then this message probably will fit into that category as well. And so this is your last warning. Uh, if you want to put your kids in kids' ministry so you don't have to have a really awkward ride home, now might be a good time. Uh, this message is probably appropriate for, you know, 10 years old and up. But uh, if you feel like you're ready to have those conversations with your younger kids, very cool. So, you know, I was thinking about the sex talk and <laughs> thinking like nails on a chalkboard, lemon juice in a paper cut kind of a feeling. Uh, if you had to have that with your parents or you've had to have it with your kids, you know, but I, I am hoping we can have a little bit of fun in this message as well. So hopefully you're not like cringing right now in like an utter panic mode. And here's the deal, right? Like the reality is uh, everywhere we look in our culture, uh, we're seeing it. It's being talked about. It's being shoved in our faces. It's being commercialized. I mean, you, you Kind of, you can't watch pretty much anything without in some way them leveraging that sex sells, right? So you're gonna see it in movies, you're gonna see it on, in commercials and sports games. Um, I mean, open up your smartphone or a tablet or, you know, turn, you know open the internet up and scroll anything and you're, it's gonna be thrown in front of you, right? The reality is um, that sex is kind of constantly put in front of us. And so if we're not talking about it, those around us, our kids, and others that we should be talking about this with, they're gonna hear it from someone else. In fact, they are, right? The truth is, even our very young kids are hearing about sex, their sexual identity, their sexual orientation, and sexual activity. They're hearing about it from their peers, from their teachers. They're hearing about it on the internet and with those that they interact with on a regular basis. And so I just, you know, kind of gearing up for this sermon series said, no, we're gonna make sure we talk about it here. Because if we can't talk about it here, then where are we gonna talk about it? And so my goal today is twofold, not only to talk about it with you, but to equip you to talk about it in a healthy way in your home and with those that you love and that you care about. And the people that you love and you care about might be beyond those that you're physically related to, but somebody that you want to have a healthy conversation with. And so with that said, you know, so how do we talk about it? I think first recognizing that it is constantly put in front of us, that everywhere we look, everything we see, someone is talking to us about sex, about our sexuality, right? And what they're saying is almost always dangerous and destructive. What you're seeing and what you're hearing is gonna be dangerous and destructive. Why? Because they're saying you can do what you want, when you want, because it feels good, and if it feels good, you can do it, 
right? You don't have to really think about it. As long as it feels good, do it. As long as you're not hurting anybody else. And so our culture has kind of shifted and adapted to this mindset that I can pretty much do what I want, when I want, with whom I want, no matter what I want. In fact, if there are consequences for that, the consequences are the problem, not my desires, right? So let's remove the consequences, not change my desires. In fact, one of the worst things that can be said, or one of the worst things uh, that could be done in our culture is telling someone that you cannot give in to your sexual desires or your sexual urges, right? That would be like the greatest wrongdoing in our society to someone to say, no, you can't do that. No, you can't do what you want or what feels good to you. And as a result, as a culture, what we've done is we've held, we've held up our sexual identity as the pinnacle of who we are, right? So I'm just, let's talk about that for a moment, right? Like there's a lot of aspects to who you are. There, you know, you have your education, you have your background, your experience, your heritage, your family upbringing, you have your, um, you know, your intelligence, your emotional health, you have your, your thinking, you have your physical body, right? You have your spiritual being, and, and there's a part of you that is your sexual being. And what our culture has done is we've put your sexual being at, at the highest point of who you are. So we've elevated your sexuality above all other aspects of who you are and what you, we, you do. And so here, here's the end result, right? So if, if the most important part of who I am is my sexuality, then I should be able to live that out and act on that no matter what. And so here, here's what I would say. If you, if you had a couple different approaches to our views on sex, the first approach would be this, and this is where our culture lands. Sex is our God. And so we we offer our bodies in worship to sex. We kind of give in and give ourselves fully to sex. Like whatever you want, whatever you want to do, this is our God. And, you know, unfortunately, probably uh, offering our children on the altar of sacrifice for the God of sex. Um, but that's an, another statement. But the first thing would be that we treat it like a God. The second is, uh, unfortunately, that we treat it like it's gross, now, some of you, you grew up in an environment, maybe a really a fear-based religious environment that said sex is bad, sex is bad. In fact, they wouldn't even say that, right? Because I'm not even gonna say the word sex. They just kind of imply it and everybody walks around scared to death. And, and maybe if you grew up in an environment like that, you thought sex was a really bad thing that only bad people do. And you, and you couldn't figure out how you came into being. Kind of like, it was very confusing. But sex is bad, sex is bad. And so people go through their childhood and, and young adulthood and get into adulthood and they're like, sex is bad and so sex is gross. Or, so it's not just religious people that can fall in that category, but maybe you've been abused, sexually abused, and as a result, your feeling is that sex is gross. Or, or maybe you've been exposed to some level of sexual perversion and it's left you with that feeling of this is bad, this is gross. But there is a third option. The third approach to sex is not that it's your God, not that it's gross, but that it's a gift. That God created it and designed it as a gift. And if it's a gift, then it's given with a purpose and a time to properly be opened. And when Jesus was talking about relationships, he, he referred to two passages 
in the book of Genesis, in the Bible, the very first book of the Bible, it was important to Jesus. Jesus valued the book of Genesis, and so we're going to value what these passages say. And so Jesus refers, and I'm going to read these two passages that Jesus referenced. So he he references first Genesis chapter uh, chapter 1, verse 27, 28, where we read this. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Talked about this last week. God blessed them and said, be fruitful. Now, this is a really discreet way of God encouraging the sex talk. He goes, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. And then the the second part, the second verse that I want to point out to you is this. Jesus also references this. He goes, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. Again, I just appreciate how the Bible is so discreet. I mean, your kids could read it and they don't even really understand what he's saying here. That's why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Boy, isn't that sweet? And Adam and his wife were both naked. And the kid's like, wait, what? <laughs> and they felt no shame. So there's a couple things that are really important in this as you begin to read uh, the passages in Genesis that were important to Jesus. And it's that first, God created man and woman. God put them into a marriage relationship. God gave them the gift of sexuality and of sexual intimacy. God said it was good. And when Adam and Eve enjoyed it, they were naked. That's probably a good way to enjoy it. And they felt no shame. Man, you guys are like, you're, y'all need to lighten up. If this is uncomfortable for you, how do you think I feel? I mean, my parents come to Live House, my, my kids come to Live House, my wife is here, like, man. All right, so y'all take a big deep breath, all right? We're gonna have, I said, we're gonna have a little bit of fun. All right, but the point was this, when, when we read about this, um, it was God's design. God wanted male and female to come together in marriage. God wanted them to enjoy their sexuality and their sexual experience and he, uh, he said, this is not only good, but there should be no shame attached to it. Okay, so the point of those passages and Jesus referencing these passages was this idea. So if there's a takeaway that I want you to uh, have from this message would be this, that we should enjoy the gift of God honoring sex. I thought we would be like, amen. Like we're not, I know, we're not like an amening kind of church. I know you're not like a shout the preacher down kind of people, but this is one where I think some of you all, you're holding back. So I'm gonna read it again. And then I'm hoping at all of our campuses, maybe, maybe like you all, are, maybe at some of our other campuses, you're gonna respond a little bit better, right? So the big takeaway for the message today is this, enjoy the gift of God honoring sex. Ah, good. <laughs> All right. Okay. So here, here's the thing, right? Um, this is the goal. This is our ambition. This is not how we live. This is not what's being taught. This is not what's being commercialized. This is not what's being promoted. This is our goal, but this is not the goal of our culture. Now, here, here's what happened. 
I'm gonna go back to the beginning. God made Adam and Eve. God created them. He gives them this gift. He brings them into marriage. He, he, he says it's good. He blessed it. And uh, there, there should be no shame. And then, and then they just messed it up. You wanna know how they messed it up? They wrote God out of their story. Adam and Eve said, God, we don't really need you and we're not gonna follow your rules. Your rules are a killjoy. And so we could do life better without you. And now they didn't necessarily have that dialogue, but those are the decisions they made. And so when they said, we can do life better without you, they disregarded God and God's ways to experience all of the best of life and what God blesses. And when they disregarded God and they did life their way, that is what is referred to as sin. Sin is an instinct, a corruption, a a sabotaging force that every one of us have where we want to push God out of our life. And And we don't necessarily say it or think it, but it is an instinct to say, God, I know better and I'm going to do life my way. The problem with the corrupting force of sin that entered into Adam and Eve that we inherited is it's a trick. It feels good, but it isn't good. We believe that if it feels good, then it is good. But the reality is that when we sin and we write God out of our life, we do things that feel good, but then we discover they aren't good and they hurt us and they destroy us. Okay, that is the, that's the big picture, right? Sin is a spiritual force that lives inside of every one of us and it is destroying us, spiritually destroying us. And the end result is a ultimate ruin in forever judgment. The problem is that this sin thing corrupts every part of every one of us. It's corrupting the world we live in. It's breaking things down. That's why things don't work the way they should. But it doesn't just break the world around us, it breaks us. It corrupts us. And because it corrupts us, it corrupts the way we think. It corrupts the way we make decisions. It corrupts the way we treat people. It even corrupts our sexuality tricking us into into believing that because we have a desire, that desire must be good for us. Or because we have a desire, that's who we really are. Listen to me. Every one of us have disordered desires. Every single one of us have corrupted desires. Not just sexually, Across the board, there's a lot of things about us that are corrupted by sin. And so God's mission wasn't just to come and rescue you sexually. God's mission was to rescue us from the destructive eternal force of sin. And so God came to us. And so I'm gonna jump to another letter, a a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in the city of Corinth. And, And in the chapter I'm gonna reference, he is specifically writing because this church in this city is dealing with a lot of sexual issues, sexual exploitation, sexual abuse, people, um, People sleeping with people in ways that they should not have been. See, the apostle Paul is like, literally like, he's almost like shaking his head going, you gotta be, so he's writing about this. In the middle of writing about these issues in 1 Corinthians chapter six, he gives a little encouragement. And so I'm gonna jump in and read this. So he goes like this, 1 Corinthians 6 verse 17. Whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. So here's what God did. 
God sees that you and I are corrupted by sin. And so he comes to us. Jesus Christ's goal was to take our sin on himself, our shame, our guilt, our sin. To take on the eternal judgment we deserve, he put on himself. So when Jesus died, he died once for all. He paid the price for our sin. He absorbed the eternal judgment that we deserve so that anyone, this is important, so that anyone who believes in Jesus by faith is forgiven and given new life. Jesus not only died, he rose from the dead and in his resurrection, he conquered the eternal consequence of sin. He freed us from the the choking power of sin at work in our lives. And because of his resurrection, his spirit living in us begins to transform us so that the effects of sin, the, the desires of sin, the sabotaging force of sin is losing its grip on our life. Okay, you with me so far? When Paul is writing this, his goal, even though he was talking about sexual corruption and sexual brokenness, he was saying the primary goal is not to to get you to agree on sexual views. His goal was not to make a political statement or to come out publicly and say, this church is for or against this. Paul was writing, he goes like this. He goes, here's what I want you to know. The heart of God is that you become united with the Lord uh, with his spirit, right? Like that you understand that you have become one in Christ. So my goal today is first and foremost, I want you to hear me carefully. Regardless of your views, on on very difficult cultural issues. First and foremost, my hope, my greatest prayer is that you recognize that there is something deeply broken inside of you and Jesus is the answer. And I hope that you become one in love with Jesus, that you experience his love, are forgiven by his love, you receive new eternal life through his love, and you begin to grow in love with Jesus. My primary goal is that you would love Jesus more. And if you will love Jesus more, all the rest of these issues will become a lot less important in your life and in those around you. Let's be, let's be first focused on making much of Jesus. Now, I think if those of you are listening to me carefully, you're probably reading between the lines and going, boy, Patrick is trying to be really careful and how he's hitting this issue. I am. Because I want you to know, first and foremost, our goal, not only as a church, but what I read consistently in the Bible and I, and I read in the teachings and the way of Jesus is that he, he elevated our affection toward God. And when we get our affection on God, anything that was in place of God previously becomes far more secondary. And so maybe your sexuality was a God in your life, or maybe you have become an advocate, or uh, you become uh, outraged about certain issues, but you've turned that into a God in your life. If you will get back to worshiping Jesus and loving God, you'll get a better perspective on how to respond to these kind of issues. You'll be healthier and you'll respond healthier. Recognize that God loves people. By the way, what that means in your life is this. When you believe in Jesus by faith, you are forgiven and you are given a new beginning. 
Maybe some of you, even as I'm talking about this, there's, a, there's some guilt, there's some shame, maybe there's some regret or some pain attached to this topic. And you would, man, you're just kind of hoping you can sneak out of here as quickly as possible. When, when you believe in Jesus by faith, he draws a line in the sand of your life and he invites you to take a step over that sand, uh, that line, so that you can leave the past in the past, be forgiven and made new and have a new beginning through faith in him. All right. Now I want to take I want to take the, the next portion of this message, and I want to hit a few key t- thoughts. And I'm going to move pretty quickly, but I want to equip you with how we want to then appropriately talk about how to enjoy the gift of God honoring sex. So let me read a few more of these passages from First Corinthians chapter six. Paul writes, "Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside of the body." But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that? Meaning you're not just hurting someone else. You're also hurting yourself deeply. Do you not know that your bodies are are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? And so the key here is this, that when you believe in Jesus by faith, you're God's. Therefore, honor God with your your body. It's like borrowing a, a, a friend's car. It's not yours. You shouldn't be just going as fast as you can with it and abusing it. You have to return that. Hopefully you should be returned. If you're a good friend, you return it better than the way you borrowed it. You put more gas in it, right? And so we recognize my body is not my own. My body, my sexuality, my thinking, my emotions, they're on loan from God, which means I'm going to give an account to God for how I treated the gift he has given me. So let me jump back in and kind of keep reading this. He goes, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So the first thing I want you to really take away from this is this idea. And I'm going to try to move through this pretty quickly here. Um, God honoring sex is a gift from God. It's not gross. I know that some of you, you have some brokenness that you're carrying. Some of you have some, there's some shame that you've been carrying. There's pain from the past, maybe regret. Maybe it was previously a God in your life. Let's get that in the right perspective. Maybe it's been gross in your life. Allow God to heal your heart. It is a gift given to you by God. A gift given by God to be properly enjoyed in the proper context. It is not bad. It is not inappropriate. Um, We shouldn't be embarrassed or ashamed to talk about God honoring sex. Parents, you should have the freedom and uh, you should be able to speak in a God honoring way to your kids about sexuality. I know they're bringing difficult topics to you, but keep your cool. Don't lose your mind. Talk in a God-honoring way, right? We shouldn't be embarrassed and hang our heads. Okay, with that, I want to give you a couple things about what God intended for sex. Maybe you haven't heard this before. God-honoring sex is for what purpose? Well, it should be for the purpose of intimacy in your marriage. The goal is husband and wife coming together as one, That's intimacy. Uh, If you go to the Old Testament, it often uses the word, like we'd say, Adam knew Eve and she became pregnant 
and had Seth. And you're like, hmm, wonder what the whole new, new thing was about. Well, but what, the, what the author was trying to write was it's more than just sexual intercourse. There is a, an intimacy, a, a coming together of heart and mind and spirit. And, and maybe for some of you, just the idea of elevating your perspective on sex to actually becoming sexual intimacy would change your approach. Second, it's for pleasure. If you haven't caught on yet, sex should be fun. You should have a good time. You should enjoy it. Part of the reason I'm saying this is because some, there are some who grew up in very fundamental religious homes or environments where it's like sex is bad, sex is bad. It's only for making babies. Well, I think you should enjoy practicing making babies. And so it should be fun. And then, and then the third one, which is procreation. So I, I was just going to put here like recreation, procreation. All right. The procreation part, which is a little bit complicated, but you know, God's desire was that they would multiply and spread out, right? They, were, they should make babies. And uh, so, like I said, you should have fun practicing making babies. You should make babies. And it's complicated because there are a lot of couples who they want to have kids and they can't have kids. And then there are people that are having kids that don't want to have kids. And so it gets a little frustrating, right? And so rather than me spending a whole message just on that, let, let me just say this. Uh, if you want to have kids, that's a good thing. God hears your heart. He honors that desire. And uh, if you're trying to have kids, can I encourage you, just keep praying. Keep having fun. Keep practicing in the meantime. Um, but trust God. Keep, keep it as a matter of prayer. And then, you know, if you've practiced and you're, it's not happening, uh, man, seek support, get help. And beyond that, uh, consider alternatives. Man, we live in a culture where there's a lot of kids that need to be adopted. We're a church that's strong advocates for the foster care system and kids getting adopted. So I'm just, just going to leave that there if that's all right. And then, and then I want to continue here. I want to give you an, another idea beyond it being God's idea for, as a gift. The second part of that passage was this. Let me jump in to the next verse here. It goes, each man, so I, I can't say too much. I'm going to keep reading, but I, I think you're going to laugh a little bit as I'm reading this. Each man should have sexual relations with his own wife. That makes sense. And each woman with her own husband. So far, so good. Uh, the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife. Amen. Exactly. That's what I said. I said, that's right. Men, step it up. Stop depriving your wife. That's wrong. That's what the Bible says, Spencer. And likewise... Likewise, the wife should fulfill her responsibility to the husband. He, like, he adds it on like a little secondary thing. He's like, oh, by the way, wives too. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. Don't worry, he continues. He goes, in the same way, the husbands do not have authority over their own bodies. Men, you don't just get a, it's not just about you. It's, you know, your body's not just your own. Your body's your wife. She, it's hers. She can, she can grab it and touch it and enjoy it all she wants. And so he's saying, you got to yield it. You got to yield your body to your wife. You see why I had so much fun just reading this? I was laughing. I was like, this is so good. And then he continues, he goes, so don't deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent or for a, and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. So the only exception he makes, the only time you get a hold back is if you guys have both committed that you're going to go into a season of fasting and prayer, and that's not going to include sex. 
You can fast and pray and not fast sex, which I think is a good plan. But if you were gonna, if you were gonna devote yourself to prayer and you were not gonna have sex, he goes, don't do it for very long because he goes, then come together again so that Satan won't tempt you. I just think this is good counsel. So here, here's, my, here's my conclusion on this, right? God honoring sex is for the marriage covenant. Okay, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna take this apart. God's design for God honoring sex is within the marriage covenant. So um, covenant, uh, it's not casual, an easy come, easy go where we have a lot of casual relationships. It's not contractual. If you do this for me, I will do this for you. It's a covenant. A covenant means this. I give myself to you until I die. No matter what you ever do to me or for me. I give myself completely to you, no matter what you ever do. And a covenant relationship begins when they both say that. And so God's design was that within the confines of a marriage covenant, which biblically is between a man and a woman, that's where we best enjoy God honoring sex. Now, I, I made a statement there. This is what is best and this is what is blessed. Anything less is not God's design. And when it's outside of God's design, it will bring pain, and hurt, and regret, and shame. We're not trying to shame you. If right now you're struggling with your sexual orientation, or maybe you're in a relationship that is outside of God's best, I want you to know this, God loves you, the church loves you, we love you, and Jesus is welcoming you home into a relationship with him. That's his desire, to love you and to transform you. When we talk about sexuality, our desire is to help you to step into God's design. God's design for God-honoring sexuality, God-honoring sex, is within the marriage covenant relationship between a man and a woman. Sexual attra uh, attraction is not the problem. Let me be really clear here. Just because you're attracted to someone does not mean you're sinning. Attraction is not the problem. Acting on an attraction can get you into trouble, right? So a guy who's married notices another woman that's not his wife is attractive. That's not a sin. It might just mean you're a guy. Okay. If you act on that attraction, now you're in trouble. You with me so far? The same is true with same-sex attraction. The attraction's not wrong. Acting on it is when you're going to get into trouble. And so what we mean very specifically is this, what I see biblically speaking. We want to honor God in how we act on the attractions God has put in us. If it's not within the confines of marriage, then I, within biblical marriage, then I am going to honor God with my sexuality by protecting it and staying pure. Let me give you a couple, and I have to move pretty quickly here. I've taken a lot of time in this message, and so I wanna quickly move through a couple key things and bring this message in for a landing. A few qualities about God honoring sex within the confines of God's design for marriage. First, it starts long before the bedroom. So I'm giving you guys some tips. Is that all right? 
uh, God-honoring sex should start long before the bedroom. I thought the women would be like, amen. Um, amen to that, right? Uh, what I mean is like, guys, you're, you're really good at making comments, but that's not romantic. Like we can turn anything into a sexual comment. Your honey, your wife is like, can you go turn on the stove? Turn on the oven, heat more, preheat it. I'll turn you on, baby. You know, like, <laughs> like, you know, like we're good at that. And we can take, like, right, like guys, like we can take any situation and sexualize it. That's not turning your wife on. All right? So the point is like start long before the bedroom. Maybe the best thing you can do is actually do the dishes or get the kids to bed. All right, put them to bed early. So it's a little more romantic. Um, how about compliment her? Just notice her. Say something sweet to her, right? It's, the, it's, re, it's emotional intimacy before physical intimacy. Make sure it's passionate. Right? That means caring, loving, genuinely being fully interested in the person that you love and give them your full focus, your full attention. I, I want to add a little bit to this passionate part. You're together. You're enjoying the process of making love. Guys, work on your approach. You know, don't just use the same approach every time. Don't just always have the same little rhythm. Man, get passionate. Get excited. Work on your approach. Women, just make an approach. <laughs> just do anything. <laughs> All right. Um, mutually satisfying. This is important. Goal of God honoring sex is that both enjoy it, both are respected, both are honored. No one should walk away feeling degraded, disrespected, or dishonored. And then a fourth one would be it's built on absolute trust. Right? Neither individual should leave feeling insecure. Right? In order to have true intimacy, there has to be a deep sense of vulnerability and trust. Do whatever you can to protect that trust. And then let me give you a final principle, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna land on this one. It's this um, God honoring sex must be protected. If it's gonna be protected, then we have to guard God honoring sex both before and in marriage. Right? We have to guard it. We have to protect it. You have to take steps to guard and protect God-honoring sexuality. That means you have to protect it before you get married and once you're married. A, a little principle I'm going to give you in order to protect God-honoring sexuality would be this. Um, your spouse is your only appropriate outlet for God-honoring sexuality. If you're not married, your spouse is your only appropriate outlet for God-honoring sexuality. If you're married, your spouse is your only appropriate outlet for sexual fulfillment. Before marriage, if you're dating, establish good, healthy boundaries to honor God in that dating relationship. Men, protect the woman you are dating. Women, expect to be treasured. Expect it. If he won't treasure you, he's not worth dating. All right, you, you honor and you protect yourself. Guard yourself from being overly exposed to sexualized content. In marriage, there's so much pressure on couples because of the expectations in the world we live in. And so I'm just gonna challenge you with this. I'm so grateful that God designed sex. He gave it to us as a gift and he provided some instruction about how we can enjoy it. I don't want to go out into our culture to learn about what God gave me as a gift 
I want to protect it and honor it. I want to honor my spouse. And I want to make sure that we are enjoying it. And one of the most powerful things you could do in your marriage is just remove the expectations that the world has put on you and just passionately love your spouse. Enjoy the process. Just fall in love again with each other and maybe just have a little bit more sex. And I think you guys will, I think that will be a tremendous blessing to you. It will grow the church. Um, it will be a blessing in the community. All right, let me land this. I need to land this into this. Let me, let, me, let me give you a final statement. Our goal is that you would love Jesus more. That's it. If you will love Jesus more, there will become a properly ordered view on sexuality. There's not judgment in this room at any of our campuses. We know that God loves you. God is for you. Jesus died to rescue every one of us from our brokenness and our sin. And he loves you. And so that's where I wanna land. I wanna pray over you. Heavenly Father, I wanna say thank you for Jesus who came to rescue us from sin and give us new life. God, I also wanna say thank you for the gift you gave us at the very beginning, that a husband and wife can come together in marriage and enjoy the gift of God honoring sex. And, and God, we just want to be a good example to the world around us of what it means to truly enjoy the gift you've given us. And God, overcome the brokenness and the pain that we see in the world around us. We ask this now in Jesus' amazing name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.